here today. We uh, find ourselves here on this first Sunday of spring break, which is always a, a different Sunday for us. We're certainly thankful uh, that you're here. All of us know that spring is uh, really just right around the corner, even though it's a little bit nippy today. Stephen's right. We do uh, consider a really important topic today, that of pride. Uh, he's listed some wonderful scriptures, uh, certainly helped fashion his prayer around uh, that in important uh, topic, if you will, uh, one that we need to be considering um, all the time, how pride is uh, very much interrupting relationship, not only with God, but with other people. May it be that we are challenged to uh, get pride out of the way. Well, the chants uh, always happen around this time of year. We're number one. It's a staple of the NCAA uh, tournament. Pride has a way of uh, oozing out when the, when the chant goes up. The pride we have in our favorite team is, is really not all that bad. Certainly, there's been a, a lot of pride in and around the University of Louisville women's team. They did very, very well. Unfortunately, they are not playing later today, but they did dispatch themselves well on Friday. And we can still lift up a, a foam finger <laughs> saying, you're number one, at least in our hearts. Pride, though, has a way of uh, tripping us up. You know, just a, a couple of verses after one of those that Stephen read from Proverbs. Proverbs 16.8 says that pride goes before the fall. You've heard that before. Pride goes before the fall. History is uh, full of people whose pride led to their downfall. Pride certainly puts our focus on the wrong things. First, it puts our, it puts our focus on ourselves at the expense of others. It also uh, puts our focus on those things that will help feed our pride. An inflated view of ourselves always correlates to a deflated view of God. And that's where it is. Our pride always gets in the way of our relationship with God. Pride not only has a disrupting relationship with God, but it, uh, it has a way of disrupting our relationships with other people. Pride always is a, is a stumbling block because really we become the, the center of the, the universe when it comes to relationships. And it's hard to, to really nurture those relationships when that sort of thing is taking place. Pride is the first of the seven deadly sins. I'm talking about the sort of arrogant, hypocritical, self-centered disposition that works to stunt our relationship with God and cuts us off from other people. C.S. Lewis once wrote, a proud person is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as that person is looking down, they can't see something that's above them. When it comes to, to pride, far too many have an I problem. Now, I'm not talking about an EYE problem. I'm talking about a capital I problem. 
Jesus has something to say about that. He has uh, something to say about that in a conversation that he has with two of his disciples about their pride and how that pride, their pride, gets in the way. So let's read about that as we turn to Mark, the 10th chapter. We'll be reading verses 35 through 45. Let's hear this from God's Word. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We, we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant about James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is God's Word, and may it be a deep and abiding blessing to each of us, not only as we hear this Word read, but as we make effort now to take our lives and apply them to this Word. May God bless us all. As we all know, this is an age where self-interest trumps. It pretty much trumps everything else. You see it in politics and business, sports and entertainment. Self-interest is very much at play with what's going on in the Ukraine. Putin's own pride is front and center. Self-interest was at at least a, a part of the Will Smith Chris Rock incident this past week. People everywhere are looking out for their own self-interest, even at the expense of other people. Regrettably, far too many relationships are built upon self-interest. And because of that, those relationships are never strong, and in fact, they suffer. I like the story told of the of the fifth grader who came home from school so excited. She had been voted prettiest girl in the class. The next day, she was even more excited when she came home and and told her mother that she had been voted most likely to succeed. The next day, she came home and shared that she had been voted the most popular. It was the following day that she came home extremely upset. Her mother asked, what what happened? Did you lose this time? Oh, no, I I won all right, said the little girl. Today, I was voted the most stuck up. 
It's just in us to seek acclaim. Let's see how that plays out for a couple of Christ's disciples. Our scripture today shares the story about two in, in Christ's inner circle who let their pride and their self-interest get the best of them. James and John were known as the, the sons of thunder. It has a lot to say about their personality. I'm sure that they, were, they had very strong personalities. They, they also had this current that it seems that, that to where they felt as though they were entitled to whatever they wanted. Now, we know James and John were, were fishermen by trade, but their fishing enterprise was a, was a big deal, particularly compared to, let's say, Peter and Andrew. James and John were the sons of Zebedee. They, uh, their operation, their fishing operation was, was something else. They, they were the sons of Zebedee, after all, and they had that air of uh, self-interest just claiming that moniker. Mama Zebedee didn't help matters much. She was always promoting her sons. You can find that in Scripture all over the place. And following Christ. James and, and John knew they had hitched their wagon to, to something big, and they wanted to make sure that they were at the very center of what was going on. So it shouldn't surprise us that uh, they asked Jesus to offer them a place of honor when his kingdom was established. Let one of us, they said, sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Regrettably, uh, James and John had misunderstood the type of kingdom Jesus had come to establish. His was not a kingdom characterized by, by pride and prestige, but humility and service. Laying down one's prideful ways was a consistent theme for Jesus. In uh, Matthew 23, 6, Jesus chides the, the scribes and Pharisees because they love places of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogue. Those scribes and Pharisees were all about being noticed. In Luke 14, verse 7 and following, Jesus chides those who seek places of honor. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, he says, do not sit down at the place of honor, because someone more distinguished very well may show up, and that person will be offered your seat. Instead, says Jesus, go and sit at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Christ speaks great truth here. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Humility is the way of God's kingdom, not pride, humility. James and John were unashamed in asking Jesus to do for them whatever they requested. It's interesting that uh, Jesus responds with, what I, I think is a, is a very, very important question. What do you want me to do for you? It's always important that we identify what we want Jesus to do for us. 
It's an important question that uh, Jesus asks of these two. What do you want me to do for you? Gives us pause to sift through our own pride and selfishness to get to the request that we really do need to be making. So when we come before God uh, offering our prayers, may it be that uh, we're always seeking for God's will, always seeking to align ourselves with what God wants rather than what we want. What do you want me to do for you? And so we go ahead and voice that, but then God goes to work, even as we pray, to begin to mold and to fashion to where we do find ourselves more aligned with what God wants. Jesus used James and John's request as a wonderful teaching moment, not only for James and John, but for the rest of the disciples. For as the Scripture reports, they, they re became indignant on account of what James and John were requesting. I think what Jesus teaches to James and John, to the rest of the disciples, that teaching moment, if you will, is very instructive to, to each of us. Jesus knew that James and John didn't have a clue what they were asking for. He knew that, that drinking from the cup he was about to drink or being baptized into what he was about to go through was the furthest thing from their minds. <clears throat> Jesus also knew that the prideful, jealous indignation of the rest of the disciples wasn't where they needed to be either. So he asked the question, and all of them are having to sift through their request and get to the place where they were more aligned with God's will. So Jesus taught them. He said, whoever wants to become great must be a servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Jesus teaches that our prideful self-seeking will ultimately get us nowhere. Christ's way is simply different. Interestingly, and not surprisingly, he leads the way. Is anybody surprised about that? When it comes to humility, Jesus leads the way. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so in this season of the year, we find ourselves focused on that very thing, Jesus presenting his life, offering himself as a ransom for us all. I think it's interesting that Mark has Jesus and his disciples in the very next passage, the very next passage after the one that we're studying today, he has James and John, his disciples, encountering Bartimaeus. We know Bartimaeus as that blind man that asked for, for Christ's healing as, as Christ and his disciples were making their way out of Jericho on their way to Jerusalem for the very last time. Bartimaeus calls out, Lord, have mercy on me. To which Jesus responds, what do you want me to do for you? 
There's that question again. What do you want me to do for you? As we know, Bartimaeus was healed that day. And as the scripture reports, he followed Jesus. Now, there wasn't much pride involved in Bartimaeus' request. He didn't ask for position. He didn't ask for riches. He asked simply for the priceless gift of sight. Bartimaeus asked faithfully and with a humble heart. His pride had long since been laid aside. That was not so much the case for James and John or for the rest of the disciples, that, for that matter. Eventually, they too would lay down their pride. Eventually, they too would, would move through what, what Jesus was facing, his death and then his eventual resurrection. They would experience Christ's death and resurrection, and, and whatever pride they had would be laid aside for the sake of, of knowing Christ, the resurrected Lord. And so we're attempting to do the very same thing this very special season of the year. I hope that you have uh, set it aside as being very special. This Lenten season is a time for us to, to put our focus on Jesus and to contemplate all that he has done on our behalf. Try as we might. Pride is, is one of the, the toughest things to overcome. And pride is one of those things that we're considering here in this Lenten season of laying down, of putting it to the side so that God might be glorified through us. Ben Franklin has this to say about pride. He says, there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as, as much as one pleases. It is still alive. Even if I should conceive that I completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. What is it about us? That pride always seems to get in the way. What is it about pride that, that seems to be such a driving force in our lives? How about you? How about your prideful ways? With Christ's help, with Christ leading the way, the very one who did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but one who emptied himself and took on the, the, the form of a servant and was obedient, even obedient unto death, and thereby upon his death was, was uh, exalted above the earth, below the earth, and on the earth. May it be that Christ, leading the way, the one who lived, died, and rose again, the one who, who models who we should be, may we be laying down our pride, connecting our lives with him and shining with his love for all to see. Let's lay down our pride. And in that, may God be glorified. May the Lord bless us all.